If you all can make your way back to your seats, we're going to get started. And if you could open up your Bibles, please, to Joshua chapter 7. Joshua 7 is going to be our passage of Scripture this morning that we're going to read from. It's so good to see you all, church, and I want to echo what Lewis said about the Celebration Conference. If March 23rd through 25th, if you're in town and view it as a sweet vacation time and um, come and uh, worship Jesus together with us at Messiah College, it's going to be a sweet couple of days there, and I'm looking forward to just getting some time some extended time just to hang out together with you, and we're going to have a lot of fun, games, but also, more importantly, worship and the Word and growing in our love for Jesus. So I'm looking forward to that. Joshua chapter 7 is going to be our first section of Scripture that we're going to enter into here this morning, but this sermon here is going to cover uh, Joshua chapter 7 through Joshua chapter 12, and I want to um, highlight Joshua chapter 11, verse 23, and I want to read Joshua 11, verse 23, um, before we uh, pray in opening. So if you can just turn your Bibles to Joshua 11, verse 23, and keep your finger on Joshua 7, we'll be going there shortly. So let's read God's Word. So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had spoken to Moses. And Joshua gave it for an inheritance to Israel, according to their tribal allotments. And the land had rest from war. Entitled this message, Come Put Your Feet on the Neck of These Kings from Joshua chapter 10, which we'll dip into here shortly. Let's let's pray together. Oh, Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity to gather together today to worship you and to hear your word. Holy Spirit, we pray for your presence to come and fill us. And Lord, we pray for your power to come upon us and strengthen us today. Lord God, that we might glorify you with our lives and that we might love you with more passion and devotion. Lord, as we see this passage here in in Joshua 7 through 12, Lord, it's a lot of ground to cover. Help us, Holy Spirit, to to scan over these chapters and to derive all the encouragement, Holy Spirit, that you have for us this morning. Assist me to proclaim your precious word and guide us toward worship, sweet worship, at the end of the service, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So in Joshua chapter 7, um, the, the context of this here is the years around 1406 BC, if they come out of the wilderness wanderings, Israel now has crossed over the Jordan River with the help of God's power. And, um, just by way of background, um, you can put the first map up, um, just to give you a set, uh, an idea of the context here. Here were the, the Israelites wilderness wanderings and, um, Moses and the people of Israel conquered over on the eastern side of the Jordan River. But then they crossed over the Jordan River here, and and they conquered Jericho. That's what we looked at last week. And the, the passage of Scripture that we're going to cover here this morning is going to show uh, Joshua and the people of Israel heading south and conquering the southern kingdom of Canaan. But then they're also going to head north and conquer the northern area of Canaan as well, all within this section that we're going to look at here. And the passage in Joshua chapter 12 is basically a list of kings that Moses conquered on the eastern shore of the Jordan and that Joshua conquered on the western bank of the Jordan River, uh, a total of 31 kings. And so it's really a story of conquest. It's a story that reflects one of the themes that we talked about with the book of Joshua, that our Lord is a warrior, and reflecting upon the victory that God wins for his people. We're going to highlight that here today as we look at Joshua chapter 7 through to the end of chapter 12. 
And the, the main point I want us to get this morning is Joshua conquered the people entered rest. Jesus conquered, we will enter rest. Joshua conquered, and the people entered rest. And it's, 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 it's really glorious, but Joshua, or the name Yeshua, is actually the, the name Yeshua, Jesus in the New Testament, the corresponding nature of Joshua the conqueror and Jesus the conqueror. Are, are, is a glorious parallel because Joshua really is a, a, a type of the Lord Jesus Christ as a conqueror on behalf of the people of God. So Joshua conquered, the people entered rest. Jesus conquered, we will enter rest. And so I hope that that uplifts you just even in the hearing of it. And uh, as we kind of navigate in, let's let's dive in here to Joshua chapter 7. The setup here in Joshua 7 is, the people of Israel um, just saw the walls of Jericho fall. Rahab was saved out alive. Rahab the prostitute was saved by the people. She she tied the scarlet cord um, on the doorpost of her house and in the window of her house and was, was saved. That scarlet cord really points to and symbolizes the blood of Christ, which atones for our sins for all those who believe in Jesus and uh, the symbolism and the parallels and the, the typology that points to the Lord Jesus is just, it's just rampant throughout the book of Joshua. And I love looking at Christ and seeing Christ in all of Scripture together with you. But here, after um, Jericho falls, one of the interesting things that happens is there is one of the individuals amongst the Israelite camp who covets some of the things that were devoted to destruction when they destroyed Jericho. And the the passage of Scripture here in Joshua chapter 7 really kind of takes it down on a down note. So let's look at Joshua 7, uh, verse 1 together. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things. And when saying devoted things, it's things that were devoted to destruction. And the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Bethaven, east of Bethel, and said to them, go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. And what happened here is they thought that this is going to be easy. All we need to do is send 3,000 men up into Ai. But what happens is they really get beat back. And there's actually 36 in verse 5 of the men of Israel that were were chased away from the gate. And uh, the hearts of the people of Israel, when the 36 men died and, uh, and the rest of the men returned, it says that the hearts of the people of Israel melted and became as water. So there's a response here in verse 6. Let's read. Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. I love how they go to God immediately in the midst of this troubling development. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. Does this sound familiar? It sounds like Moses at, at different points here. Oh Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies for the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And then this expression, what will you do for your great name? And I love this transition here in the verse 10. The Lord said to Joshua, get up. Get up. Why have you fallen on your face? It was good to go to God, but the the lifting up of the words in verse 9, it was almost like as if it was too much. Joshua was fearing in that moment, what are you going to do, God, for your great name? One lesson to be learned here, brothers and sisters, is 
God's great name is not under threat at all by anybody. He stands alone and his power and his might secure for himself his greatness. And his greatness is in no way dependent upon us adding to it or, or maintaining it. He, he stands alone. And the Lord says, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Verse 11, Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. And again, he repeats, get up, consecrate the people and say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, there are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. What happens the next day is lots are taken and, and, and the, the tribes are narrowed down. They find that it's a tribe of Judah and they kind of hone all the way down to, they isolate it to one man named Achan who coveted some of the devoted things that he found in Jericho. And he, he talks about it here in verse 20. Achan answered Joshua, truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. Now, it's important to note that the silver and the gold was actually meant for the temple of the Lord. All the silver and the gold from Jericho they were allowed to keep so when Achan kept that for himself, he was actually really robbing the household of God. Um, and, and that's a very serious thing. But the, the, the cloak from Shinar in particular was something that he saw. It was beautiful. And uh, he, he desired it. He coveted it. And he took it. And what's so interesting is it's one man's sin. And God sees it really as, as Israel has taken some of the devoted things. It, this section here talks about the seriousness of sin in the light of God's holiness. It's almost like an Old Testament parallel verse to Acts chapter 5 with Ananias and Sapphira, isn't it? And the outpouring of the Holy Spirit happens in the day of Pentecost, and Ananias and Sapphira lie to the Holy Spirit, and they, they keep back part of the money for themselves, but they say they gave all of it to the house of the Lord. And in lying to the Holy Spirit, they're caught in that lie by the Lord, and they are they are struck dead. And it is a very serious thing when the power of God comes upon the people of God in great measure. And you see that in Acts chapter 5. You also see it here in Joshua chapter 7. It's a joyous time. I mean, Jericho was fallen, and the, the conquering of Jericho must have really uplifted the spirits of the people. But in sinning, we see how holy God is because now Israel, if they don't deal with this, they themselves will likewise be devoted to destruction. God is holy and He cannot tolerate sin. And it's a very important point. Achan engaged in secret sin. He hid this inside his tent and buried it. But God has a way of outing secret sin. It's important for all of us to take stock of our own souls and examine our own hearts and to see where, Lord, see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting, the psalmist says. And to confess secret sin and forsake secret sin and make sure that we do everything we can to repent and to turn away from the sins that oftentimes cling so closely to us in the Christian life. Hebrews chapter 12 actually says, that we are to run the race with perseverance, looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We are to throw off everything 
that hinders and the sin that clings so closely, Scripture says. And to turn away from it, to repent means to a change of mind leading to a change of behavior. And Achan here really sinned against the Lord. And he brought trouble on the people of Israel. And Joshua says to him, why in verse 25 did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. This is a reminder to us of the holiness of God. And brothers and sisters, let us take it to heart. Let us not ever just presume upon the grace of God. But let us walk in holiness and walk in the fear of the Lord and let us confess and forsake our sins and do battle with remaining sin in our lives. Because even amongst the people of God here, it is possible to covet the things of this world as Achan coveted the treasure of Jericho and disobeyed the Lord and grieved Him. And it brought judgment upon Him. We're always so shocked when God brings justice. We're never shocked when God displays mercy. And it ought to be the opposite. We ought to be just blown away that any of us have received mercy. And we ought to get on our knees and thank God that we have not received His justice, but the Lord Jesus received the justice that our sins deserve on the cross when He died in our place. And this phrase here at the end of 26, they mark the moment with stones, and then it says in the In 26b, look at that. Then the Lord turned from His burning anger. The Lord has burning anger. And He has burning anger toward the sins of His people. What is so glorious is that God, on behalf of us, His people, under the new covenant, what He has done is He has poured out His burning anger and His burning wrath against our sin. He poured it out on His Son on the cross. When Jesus died in your place, instead of it falling upon you, friends, aren't you so thankful? My brothers and sisters who believe, aren't you so thankful that the fierce anger of God, the justified anger of God against our sins fell upon the Lord Jesus Christ? And now we are on the receiving end of the Lord's favor and His steadfast love. Aren't we so blessed to be on the receiving end of such amazing grace? Let us never take it for granted, brothers and sisters, and let us take sin seriously. Point one was Achan, and and that is what we can learn from Achan. There's so many other lessons we can learn. If you study that section on Achan, there's so many details that really stand out about God. But we're going to move on for the sake of time to point two, which is Ai, Ai and chapter 8. Um, after Ai drove back the people of Israel, they began to think, okay, here, let, let them come again and we'll drive them back again. But after Israel deals with the sin, it really pleased the Lord. And in this instance, uh, what the Lord gives are specific instructions in verse 3. Joshua and all the fighting men arose to go up to Ai, and Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them out by night. And then there was this elaborate plan, helped out by the wisdom of the Lord, where they ambushed the men of Ai and the city of Ai, where people swept in from behind and set the city on fire when the men went out to battle against Israel, and it just threw them into chaos and into disarray, and all 12,000 people of the city of Ai were put to the sword. There was none left alive. And this is a display of God's justice on the rebellious and wicked Canaanites. And it's a reminder to us that God must punish sin and He will punish sin. He judges Ai and there was not a man or woman left alive in Ai. And it's important for us to remember that when Christ returns, 
those who have not repented of their sins and trusted in Jesus, the one Savior of the world, there will be no second chances. There will be no hope for anybody who, do, who does not repent and turn to Jesus. Every single individual who has not repented and trusted in Jesus will be cut down. It's important for us to take that to heart, especially in our day. We don't like to talk about hell. We don't like to talk about God's judgment, but from the Old Testament to the New, it goes from the lesser to the greater. If we think that all 12,000 people dying in the town of Ai is a serious thing, and if we're uncomfortable with that, brothers and sisters, we must remember that the reason we're uncomfortable with it is because we don't understand the sinfulness of sin, and we don't understand the holiness of our awesome God. When we study the holiness of God and when we recognize the sinfulness of the human heart and the rebellion, we look and we can come to peace as we look and see God's justice fall. And God's justice is falling on the people of Ai in this moment. And it's important for us to see here, even at the end, that the king of Ai is is gathered. If you look at verse 29, Joshua it says, and he hanged the king of Ai on a tree until evening. It's, it's one thing for a wicked Canaanite king who spent his life rebelling against God to be hanged on a tree. He deserved it. And this public display is a theme that's going to come out throughout the sermon this public display of these kings being hung on a tree until evening were a signpost to how God deals with the wickedness of sin and also to the holiness of God. The king of Ai was a cursed man. Cursed be everyone who is hung from a tree. What this is meant to point us to is passages like this. Colossians 2, verse 15. Speaking of our Lord Jesus. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. God disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over the rulers and authorities in Christ. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is every, everyone who was hanged on a tree. Let us marvel, brothers and sisters, when we see a wicked king of Ai hanging on a tree. He deserved it. But, but our, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, was hung upon the tree of the cross. And He didn't hang there for His own sins. But He hung there as a cursed man for our sins and for our sake. And brothers and sisters, let us rejoice and be exceedingly glad that as we've been looking at this morning and it's been brought up in the call to worship and also in our excellent leadership from Alex Swan this morning, you may be coming in weary and battered. You may be coming down, coming in here down this morning and very low and understandably so. But brothers and sisters, no one can ever take away the finished work of the cross and what it has accomplished on your behalf. No matter how low you are or how down you are, it's not as low or on the receiving end of what we deserve is to be cursed and cut off from God forever in hell for the sins that we've committed against God. But God has done something amazing. He sent His Son and Jesus Christ hung on a tree as a cursed man and bore the curse for us. And He redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Amen? 
what happens here right after Ai is conquered. They renew the covenant. You may remember when we, we, we studied the book of Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy 27 and 28, we had the, the ceremony that the Lord instituted through Moses where he said, I want you to go and gather by Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. Do you remember that? And they were going to pronounce the blessings and the curses based off of whether or not the people obeyed or disobeyed the Lord. That happens here in Joshua chapter 8. They, the people, if you could put the map back up, they, they conquer Ai. They conquer Ai right over on the side here, right beyond Jericho, heading west. And then they celebrate that ceremony before turning south and conquering the kings in Joshua chapter 10. So, there are, you can keep the map up there. If, in Joshua chapter 9, in the transition from uh, 8 into 9, is this, this very instructive passage of Scripture in the Old Testament called the Gibeonite Deception. Some of you may be familiar with this passage, but the people of Gibeah, if you had the other map, if you could put the second map up. Hopefully we'll be able to see it here. But here's the crossing of the Jordan River. And, and the Gibeonites lived right in over here. After uh, Ai was conquered, the people of Israel celebrated the renewal of the covenant a little north. Then they returned to their camp at Gilgal. And the Gibeonites came and pretended that they were coming from a very far distance, but actually were very close by. They were amongst the Canaanites who were to be destroyed but they acted with cunning, the word of God says in Joshua chapter 9. And they came to Joshua and the elders of Israel here in the camp in Gilgal. And they said, hey, listen, we've come from a very far distance. Make a covenant with us of peace. And you see that in verse 7. The men of Israel said to the Hivites, perhaps... You live among us. How can we make a covenant with you? And then look at what happens in verse 8. They say to Joshua, we are your servants. And Joshua said to them, who are you and where do you come from? They said to him, from a very distant country, your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God. For we have heard a report of him and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon, the king of Heshbon, and to Og, king of Bashan who lived in Ashtaroth. So our elders and all the inhabitants of our country said to us, take provisions in your hand for the journey and go to meet them and say to them, we are your servants. Come now, make a covenant with us. And look at what they do in verse 12. Here is our bread. It was still warm when we took it from our houses as our food for the journey on the day we set out to come to you. But now behold, it is dry and crumbly. These wineskins were now were new when we filled them. And behold, they have burst. And these garments and sandals of ours are worn out from the very long journey. And then look at what it says in verse 14. This is so, so potent. So the men of Israel took some of their provisions, the Gibeonites, but did not ask counsel from the Lord. I believe the NIV says they did not inquire of the Lord. And then in verse 15, look at what they did. Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the leaders of the congregation swore to them. And then, of course, they found out the truth, but it was too late. They had made a covenant with one of the very near peoples, and they shouldn't have. And the reason that they were duped, it says in verse 14, They did not ask counsel from the Lord. This has very practical import for each and every one of us, brothers and sisters. With all the decisions that we ever make in life, let it be that the very first thing we do is not think about it practically and even not even use common sense. May we first inquire of God what He desires for us to do. Let us be a people of prayer who seek the Lord for counsel first and who seek the Lord last before making a decision. I think there's a logic that goes like this. You know, 
I can pray about a decision I need to make, but in the end, I got to make the call anyway. So I might as well not even pray. Now, we would never say that. And we would never tell anybody that we did that. But often, I think many professing believers actually, like the Israelites in Joshua 9, for big and small decisions, often are more driven by their gut and are often more driven by pros and cons lists. And listen, pros and cons lists, praise God, make your pros and cons list. Get counsel from godly brothers and sisters who will be able to give you wisdom in the decisions that you make. Because with much counsel, plans succeed, Proverbs says. Do all of that, but it's possible to do many good things and yet fail to inquire of the Lord, brothers and sisters. And so let us be a people who always seek the Lord in prayer. God will speak to you. He will give you guidance through the Word of God. And also the Holy Spirit will give you guidance. He will speak to you about what you should do and what you shouldn't do. And a lot of times, you may have everything in the pros list, and there could be times where the Lord says no. And will you listen to the voice of the Lord as you inquire of Him? Will you allow the Lord to say something different to you than what common sense is seeming to speak? And there's other times where the Lord will tell you to go. And it'll be confirmed by godly counsel and common sense and pros and cons lists and examining provisions like bread and wine. Doing all those things can be doing your due diligence and making a good decision. Doing good research. Searching out things on the internet. All of those things can be good. But we can do all those things and yet fail to inquire of the Lord. And brothers and sisters, it's a burden that we would be a people. I think a point of discipleship for us, a point of practical application For each and every one of us, let each one of us be described as men and women of God who inquire of the Lord before we even talk to men. The best decisions are decisions that are made on our knees before God. We rise up and then seek the counsel of the Lord. James chapter 1, verse 5, speaking of this, says how generous God is. If any of you lacks wisdom, I love this verse, don't you? Let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. What's what's glorious here though is even though they make a bad decision um, and actually now the, the people are neighbors and they, they've got to they deal with that. It, it's interesting what happens if you look in verse 18 of, of uh, chapter 9. The people of Israel did not attack them because the leaders of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. And then look look what the reaction is. Then all the congregation murmured against the leaders. So there was this pressure that was coming that might have tempted even the leaders to conform and say, you know what, I know we gave our word, but let's go and attack them anyway so we can have that land as our inheritance alone. But look at what verse 19 says. All the leaders said to all the congregation, we have sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel, and now we may not touch them. This we will do to them. Let them live, lest wrath be upon us because of the oath that we swore to them. So they actually, they start out and they make a bad decision, but then they do something good. They stand by their word. They made a covenant with the Gibeonites and they stand by it. They make the Gibeonites servants that serve them amongst their households. But what ends up happening is is they keep their word. And Psalm 15 talks about the importance of us being men and women and children who keep our word when we give it. In Psalm 15, the word says, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? Verse 4, In whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. And look at what a person of God is described as, who swears to his own hurt and does not change. We should be a people when we give our word, we sign a contract that we stand by our word. We are honest. And we should be different from men and women of the world in this regard. 
Christians should be known as reliable in relation to swearing to our own hurt even. And oh man, what a radical witness this can be when brothers and sisters in Christ are this reliable to the promise that they give. And more importantly, it pleases the Lord. It may have indeed provoked the wrath of God upon them had they gone against the Gibeonites and destroyed them anyway. And so in this way, let us learn two points of discipleship. Let us inquire of the Lord before making our decisions and giving our word. And then secondarily, once we give our word and we make our promises, let us stand by them and be reliable in the commitments that we make. Those are two points of practical application and discipleship for us as Christians. I hope we can learn from the Gibeonite deception in uh, Joshua 9. Isn't that a glorious passage? I, I love how God just practically instructs us through the history of Israel. And I'm loving this. I'm, I'm so loving doing this with you. And I'm so looking forward to transitioning here also to point four. So uh, point three was Gibeon. Point four, conquered kings. Joshua chapter 10 moves into a direction. I mentioned this before at the map. Put the map back up of uh, where the people of Israel here, this is a good map actually, crossing over the Jordan River. Um, they, they conquer Ai. They go back to Gilgal for a little bit. Here's Gilgal. And then they go and they move south. And uh, what actually happens to provoke it is, and this is where God works all things together for our good. The people of Gibeon were attacked because they made a covenant with Israel. So all the kings of the southern kingdom of Canaan recognized that one of their own, the Gibeonites, had made a pact and a covenant with Israel, and they got angry. And so they went and attacked Gibeon because it was a great city, the scriptures say. And so all of them rallied together. They combined forces to seek to destroy Joshua and the people of Israel here. And what ends up happening is the Lord in his providence just gathers them all together at once so they can be dealt with in one triumphant blow. And I think how often in our Christian lives do we just feel like things are just going so badly that, oh, great, now we've got five kings rallying together because we made this bad decision about the Gibeonites. No, brothers and sisters, even in the midst of our errors and our sins and our failures, the Lord still works all things together for the good of His people. Amen? And that's never an excuse for us to say, oh, well, even if I sin, God will still work it all together for good. We should never do that or have that kind of logical process. But it's so good to know, and how many of us can testify to this? How many times have we made foolish decisions or decisions that were unwise? And God worked all of it together for our good. Joshua chapter 10 is a description of just that. I can't read it all just for the sake of time, but why don't you go down to verse um, 11. The people that were fighting against Israel fled before Israel. And while they were going down, the Lord threw down large stones from heaven on them. As far as Azekah, and they died. Look at this description. There were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. This was God's desire and purpose. This this holy war that he brought upon Jericho and the the Canaanites for their wickedness that he said that he was going to bring all the way back 600 years before when he was telling Abram about how he was going to do it. He said the sins of the Amorites have not yet reached their full measure. They had reached their full measure and the day of judgment had come upon them. And when God's wrath is being poured out, yes, in this Old Covenant passage, he is using his people as agents of his wrath to cut people down with the sword who were in rebellion and unrepentant to him. But there were more who died because of the hailstones. This shows the activity of God in the judgment upon the unrepentant. 
So much. So look at 12. At that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Sun, stand still at Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ajalon. And then 13, and the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Verse 14, or look at 13, the sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. It's the longest day. The longest day. Verse 14, there has been no day like it before or since when the Lord obeyed the voice of man for the Lord fought for Israel. The Amorites actually thought that they were going to get the cover of darkness and the cover of darkness never came because they were cut down. What this shows is God's conquering power over nations that rise up against Him. And it's meant to give us all hope in His power. This section here about the five Amorites killed They actually gather these five kings together. They stick them in a cave. They roll a stone over the cave mouth, set guard to it, and then they finish their work of acting out God's judgment by cutting all the rest of the peoples who were in rebellion down. And then they brought the kings out at the end. And I want to highlight this. Verse 24, when they brought those kings out to Joshua, Joshua summoned all the men of Israel and said to the chiefs of men of war who had gone with him, Come near. Put your feet on the necks of these kings. Now what you have to understand is this, in Joshua 1, 3 through 6, the word of God says, this was a promise that God gave to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. What Joshua is doing here is he's telling the leaders, and he's telling the people, here, come put your feet on the neck of these kings. It's a very important lesson. And Joshua said to them, do not be afraid or dismayed. Be strong and courageous, for thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. It was meant to inspire fresh faith in the people of God, that God was going to help them overcome future enemies, even as he had helped them to overcome present foes. And brothers and sisters, this is an important lesson for us because what it shows, what can we learn from this is God was faithful to fulfill his promise to the people of Israel that every place that the sole of their feet tread upon, God had in fact given to them. And no one was able to stand before them just as God had promised. God said, In verse 5 of Joshua 1, I will not leave you or forsake you. And that's meant to encourage each and every one of us as well, brothers and sisters, that in the midst of our battles, in the midst of our fight of faith, the Lord also will never leave or never forsake you. Isn't that such good news? Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. For thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. And he did. Joshua chapter 11. They head to the north and they conquer the northern kings. Who, by the way, they all rally together and band together. And they are all crushed in a triumphant all-for-one battle as well. And then they just kept conquering up north. But here in the south, once again, a public public spectacle is made of these five kings. And they are cut down with the sword. And they are hung from trees as cursed men. Once again, highlighting the passage of Scripture that parallels it in the New Testament that Christ disarmed the rulers and authorities and He put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. There's no foe 
that you have in front of you that is too strong for you. It's what we can learn here from Joshua. When we see these kings conquered, and I want you to just look at the imagery of Joshua bringing the people of Israel over and saying, come here, put your feet on the neck of these kings. Kings symbolize the power and the stronghold of wickedness. And by putting their feet on the neck of these kings, Joshua was instructing them about the power of God. Because even though, as we heard this morning from the ministry, Mike, through Ethan, even though we are weak, God is strong. And this wasn't a testament to the people of Israel's might. They watched as God brought hailstones down from heaven, down upon the Canaanites. They watched as the Lord caused the sun and the moon to stand still. And they watched God conquer their foes. And now their feet were on the necks of these strong men who had been disarmed. And we're no longer strong. God brings down every stronghold. He brings down everything that oppresses his people. And he conquers overall through Christ. Do you know what this is meant to do when you read Joshua 10 and 11? When you read Romans 8, 37, now in all these things, We are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Joshua 10 and 11 and the conquered kings with the people of Israel with their feet on the neck of those kings, is meant to instill faith in our hearts that just as God did that for the people of Israel under the new covenant, when we read the promise that we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us, brothers and sisters, we can count on it. We are more than conquerors through Christ who died on the cross and rose from the dead victorious over the grave. And the reason Satan can't defeat us is because he was dealt a death blow at the cross. And the God of peace will soon crush Satan under our feet. And in Revelation, he's cast down in the bottomless pit. We can be confident that such things have happened and will be so. Because just as God was faithful to do it for the people of Israel in the Old Testament... He will be faithful also to do it for the people of God in the New Testament. And that's us. God's reliable. He never goes back on his word. He can be counted upon all the time with his promises. And when he declares you more than a conqueror, you indeed, friend, are more than a conqueror. Do you know that through faith in Jesus, you have been united to Christ through faith? That means that Christ, when He conquered over sin, you conquered over sin with Him. And when Christ conquered over Satan and demons, and all the demons and all of His evil horde, what that means is because Christ is in you and you are in Christ, you cannot be brought down by Satan or His demons. You can be oppressed And feel the presence of the spiritual warfare that we need to wage. But brothers and sisters, let us as Ephesians 6 says. In Ephesians 6.10. Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. And here's the difference from old covenant to new. We do not wrestle or conquer over flesh and blood. But we conquer over against spiritual rulers, against spiritual authorities, and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, 
against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We wage a spiritual warfare. Where we kill and massacre is our sin. Romans 8.13 If by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the flesh, you will live. We need to take a conquering of Canaan, conquering all of Ai and not leaving anything alive when it comes to the reality of the remaining indwelling sin in our lives. And when we think of the remaining sin, let us not talk as if we are defeated. We are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. The Holy Spirit dwells within you and I. So let us fight the good warfare, knowing that our God is with us. And like He never left or forsake Israel, He will never leave or forsake us. And let us remember that just as these kings, these strong men were brought down by God and had the people of God with their feet on their necks, so we, brothers and sisters, will watch every enemy come to its end on the final day of judgment when we see Jesus face to face. And that's my final point. Rest. Rest. Joshua and the people of Israel conquered. And they didn't conquer by their own power. They conquered in the power of God. But Joshua conquered and the people entered rest. Jesus conquered through His shed blood on the cross. Through His finished work as Alex led us so well in worship. It is finished. And because Christ said it is finished, we, like the book of Hebrews said, we will enter rest. I love the beautiful passage of Scripture. In Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Bruce Demarest, writing about this aspect of the cross that we don't focus on often. I want you to listen carefully. We're just about ready to close, but I want you to listen carefully to this quote on this dynamic that the cross achieved that we don't often think of called cosmic victory. Listen to what he writes. Paul perceived that Christ in his life and death achieved a mighty victory over evil spiritual powers. Thus, through His public ministry and passion, Christ has, quote, destroyed death. Death has been rendered inoperative. Elsewhere, Paul asserted that through Christ's death and resurrection, God gave victory over the mortal adversaries, the law, sin, and death. Paul described the victory Christ gained at the cross over hostile spiritual forces in vivid images drawn from the ancient world. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public, public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross, Colossians 2. And at the cross, Christ stripped the evil powers that assailed him. The imagery is that of a deposed monarch or a deposed king. And that's how it connects with Joshua. A deposed monarch being stripped of the robes of his office at the cross, Christ roundly conquered alien powers, leading them in a triumphal procession, much as a victorious general led his captives in a public display through the streets of the city. Thus, through his life and death, Christ disarmed all hostile powers that threaten citizens of the kingdom. Amen. And brothers and sisters, we read this earlier. God has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I want you to remember at the day of judgment, that every knee, even of the most rebellious and wicked and defiant person, every knee will bow down before him and acknowledge him as Lord. 
we have now an opportunity for us to do it willingly or on the day of judgment, if we don't do it willingly, we will fall and we will drop to our knees and render him the homage that he deserves as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But for those of us in this room who have trusted in him, what's true, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I love how the end of 11 says that after all these kings were conquered in the south and in the north, the land had rest from war. And the people of Israel received their inheritances through Joshua. We will enter that rest on the final day and we will receive our inheritance. It's being kept right now in heaven for you, beloved. We will enter that rest and there will never be any more tears or crying or suffering or pain anymore. The good warfare that you're fighting right now on behalf of the Lord will be finally over. And you will be enjoying perfect peace and perfect rest. Seeing your Savior who conquered for you, who conquered over your sin, who conquered over Satan and conquered over the grave, you will see Him face to face. And you will rejoice. I could have Alex and the worship team return. Church, let us stand. And let us thank God for how awesome He is as the conqueror, the conquering King. Joshua conquered and the people entered rest. Jesus conquered. And we have already entered that rest and we will enter that rest. Thank You, Lord. Let's give Him the praise that he deserves. The Holy Spirit impressed upon me during worship. Jeremiah chapter 31, 11. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob and has redeemed him from hands too strong for him. Brothers and sisters, the Lord has redeemed you from hands too strong for you. He has delivered you. He has redeemed you out of the pit He has redeemed you from hands too strong for you, but they weren't too strong for him. There is nothing more strong than our Savior and our Lord, our conquering King, who has given us rest. Come to him this morning, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and he will give you rest. John Selensky handed me a beautiful hymn, and I'm going to close with this. I heard the voice of Jesus say, Come unto me and rest. Lay down, thou weary one. Lay down thy head upon my breast. I came to Jesus as I was, weary and worn and sad. I found in him a resting place. And He has made me glad. Has He made you glad this morning? Has He made you glad this morning? Aren't you glad? So glad to be in Jesus. We give you all the glory, Jesus, for all that you've done. Not to us, not to us, but to your name. Be the glory for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. We love you. And we glorify you, conquering King of Kings. Thank you that just as Joshua conquered and brought the people of Israel rest, you have conquered through your shed blood on the cross and your resurrection from the dead. And you have given us rest. And we look forward to the ultimate and final pinnacle of that rest when we get to see you face to face and we can't wait to see you face to face we love you Jesus it's in your name we pray amen amen can we thank the Lord Jesus for how good he's been to us
He has redeemed you from hands too strong for you. Go forth in the knowledge of his salvation and in his redeeming power. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.